0: welcome back to tequila she wrote a podcast about cocktails and true crime. i'm sloan your bartender for today and i'm trish your crime tender and today we're bringing you the story of heather elvis she is a waitress that went missing shortly after starting a new relationship and yeah we'll hear more about this case in just a little bit It's another round of bartending with Sloan. Today I am bringing you one of the best wines I have ever tried in my life. But also, like, dare I say, this is probably more of a grape juice (laughs) than a (laughs) wine. Like, the APV on this is fairly low compared to some other wines that you can get in the grocery store and elsewhere. And it tastes like Welch's grapefruit juice. Like, it just goes down too smoothly. But I could honestly drink... The whole bottle and feel maybe buzzed yeah maybe it's just it's pretty much grape juice but this is from sugarland cellars uh we found this wine in gatlinburg on our last trip i wanted to go to this specific place because whenever nate and i went and we eloped there when we got married there Um, this was the winery that was right in front of our hotel and we went there like right after the wedding. I was still in my gown, like my wedding dress and everything and we were just picking up wine for our dinner because the restaurant that we were going to was BYOB. And so we went in there both completely dressed up in our wedding duds and they gave us like free wedding glasses and I fell in love with this blueberry wine. So I had to go back and get that one But we also sampled this one and it was just so damn
1: good. They have a lot of really good ones at this particular like winery.
0: Yeah. So the flavor that we're talking about today is the Wiley Oakley flavor. This one is back in stock as of today. But this morning, whenever I checked, it was out of stock. But you can have this wine shipped to you if you want to try it for $23 for the bottle plus shipping and handling. Blah, 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 blah. But this Roaming Wine of the Mountains is a charming combination of Concord grape and blueberry wines. And it is so good. It's so sweet. It's the perfect, like, summer sip-on-it wine. Especially if you just want something that is not going to obliterate you by the end yeah. of the bottle. So, highly recommend. Like I said, you can get this wine shipped to you. You can go to um, shop.rockytopwineries.com and shop their whole inventory there. Some other things that we really liked from this winery, from the celery, oops, celery. <laughs> from the cellar, whatever, we really liked their uh they have sangria mixes and if you buy from online you can only do those as an add-on so if you're already getting this bottle of wine go ahead and throw on these sangria mixes they have a white and a red one and you can serve it like frozen you could also just serve it over ice if you wanted to but it was really good frozen it was almost like a slushy
1: yes They also had this mauled wine thing, and it was phenomenal. (laughs) Yes. We went, like, in October, so it was kind of cool. It was rainy for part of the days there, and so there was a day that after we had actually gone to this place. And they let us sample this. Yeah. And as soon as we sampled it, we were like, we got some. and We need it. The next day it was rainy and so we didn't want to go to downtown Gatlinburg and walk around in the rain. So we just stayed home and we made the mulled wine and just had a day of it. Just threw it in
0: a crock pot. Let it cook up for about two hours. It said throw in your favorite red
1: wine. I believe we used one of the red wines we got from. Yeah, from them. From them. And it was just. Because, you know, me and Sloan bought it case of wine um
0: (laughs) we needed a car to come we needed a second car to come home from gatlinburg just to help (laughs) carry the
1: alcohol it's fine it's okay we are who we are but needless say if you're ever in gatlinburg definitely get them sugarland Cellars.
0: they are delicious you can do a tasting for I think it was like 5 or $10 and you get to sample like three or all the wines, depending on how much you pay.
1: Highly recommend them. Hope you enjoy this episode. Heather Elvis, a native of... I looked this up, so if this is wrong, I apologize. But this is what I was told how to say. (laughs) Ory County, South Carolina. I even asked Sloan. If you didn't see the pronunciation, how would you say this? Hori. <laughs> it's spelled H-O-R-R-Y. But they say on, I think it was I think it was Google that I looked it up on. The pronunciation on there says Ori. So But she was a native of Ori County south carolina and graduated in 2011 from saint james high school being the eldest daughter she was allowed to move out shortly after and lived in carolina forest with a roommate from out of state she worked as a hostess at the tilted kilt in myrtle beach and the house of blues in north myrtle beach all while studying cosmetology. If you don't know what tilted the tilted kilt is, it's one of those places that um, it, it's kind of like a Hooters. They wear, like, little kilts, and mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of, like, Britney Spears' uh, Hit Me Baby One More yeah. Time. Like, that's kind of, like, the uniform. It's one of those little gimmicky places that... I mean, the outfit's cute. I just... Mm. I would not feel comfortable in it.
0: Nope,
1: Not for me. Not for me. It's for somebody, but yes. it's not for me. <laughs> so, in 2013, 21... Not 21. 20-year-old 20 Heather took notice of Sydney Moore, who was 37. He was a resident of... And this is one of those places that would not give me a freaking pronunciation, so I'm probably gonna say it wrong. So Costi, mm-hmm. um, a census-designed place in Ori. he repaired kitchen equipment at the Tilted Kilt. Earlier that month, she tweeted she had she had a taste for men who were older. I wouldn't say he's that much older. I mean, what, 20, 37, 17 years? I've seen worse. (laughs) It's not like she's a minor. Fair. Um, Her roommate, Brie Wallerman. Worked with her at the time and said Heather had pointed Sydney out to her at work. Almost a month later, Heather expressed a sexual interest in Moore. She was like, she basically was like, you know, the guy who builds things at my work. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, I get it. A guy that works with their hands can like, I guess, provide, induce it. Like, there's a little hint of like what else could you do? <laughs> right.
0: The handyman.
1: Right. Um, but she kind of took it a step further because yes she expressed a sexual interest in him but she also had an interest in raping him. In her words I was like okay ma'am taking this a little too far. But yeah, I was like, uh ma'am, you're becoming stalkerish. But also, she's twenty, she's still a little naive. It'd be like that sometimes. So friends and co workers said she discussed the relationship she was having with them, also. So by basically like a month after seeing this man, she started to have some sort of a relationship. She was a little vague, but she was having some sort of interaction with him. And the relationship basically became even more public because more would come in... When he wasn't there to work. To bring her like. Coffee and bagels. And stuff. So. It kind of sounds like. A normal relationship. Right? Like. If you've never worked in the restaurant industry. Like I'm sure you're like. Oh, but. For us to restaurant yeah. people. were like. Eh, it sounds that normal. Well the thing is. Sydney was married with three kids. And <laughs> he was having an affair with Heather. Like, him and his wife were not separated. They were still legitimately <laughs> married and supposedly happy, but he was having an affair. Her co workers actually made fun of her for the relationship with Sydney and called her names. And two girls actually decided to call the tilted kilt and pretend to be Sydney's wife. Betty. Right? <laughs> I was like, all right, Jesus. <laughs> so, Sydney and his wife were talking about moving to Florida, and he was actually considering asking Heather to work as his child's, n- his like children's nanny and move with them. I was like, dude. (laughs) Like, come on. You think your wife's gonna be that dumb?
0: They usually do.
1: Yeah. Moore says the relationship was confined to September of 2013. And late that month, Heather had tweeted out... What was what has since been interpreted as the end of the relationship? Shortly after Moore's wife Tammy found out about the affair, it was understandably angry. It said Tammy forced Sydney to call Heather and end it with her as she listened. According to her roommate, she was told that she was nothing. She was, yeah, she was nothing to him and was just someone who spread their legs. Which, I don't care if it was an affair in that, but that's like, that's a terrible thing to say to anybody. So, Tammy was clearly the more domineering one in the relationship. Sydney tore Heather apart and made her feel horrible about herself. And now Tammy claims Heather and Sydney kept their relationship to oral sex, but it doesn't seem that way. Tammy sent Heather texts and pictures of herself and Sydney in sexual situations. I was like, Tammy, you sound like a little petty bitch. And to ensure that Sydney stayed faithful, Tammy would handcuff him to the bed every night, change his phone password to something only she knew, and she would go with him every time he left the house. You have three kids. If you have to basically babysit your husband like he's a child, I think you need to get out of that. So, Sydney agreed to all this in order to save his marriage and Tammy made him get her name tattooed above his crotch. I was like, yeah, let her brand you. Yep. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I I was just like, uh, this is just a toxic relationship all around. Um, so, Tammy continued to message Heather asking if she was ready to meet the misses, and just threatened her and was saying she was going to kill her husband. On November 1st, Heather texted back that Tammy didn't need to worry about her anymore. Heather was then told Sydney no longer had his phone anymore. Tammy tried to get Heather fired from her job at the Tilted Kilt, calling repeatedly and saying Moore would no longer repair equipment there if Heather continued to work there. Which, if you think your husband's the only handyman in town, you you clearly don't know how things work. And you don't understand corporate, like, restaurants. They're gonna be like, okay, move on. Yeah. (laughs) You're not, you're not really given much of a threat there to a restaurant. So, Sydney at some point, started reportedly texting Heather again to say his wife didn't object to the affair since she was having her own, but instead was upset that he lied about it. She asked when he would get his phone back, and he said the relationship was over, to which she agreed. She just wanted Tammy to stop calling because she had lost hours since they sent her home after Tammy repeatedly called the restaurant. On November 5th, Heather saw Sydney for the last time and later tweeted a joke from comedian Daniel Tosh. Hey, married fellas, you can either cheat on your wife or murder her. Never both. That's when you get caught. On November 19th, Tammy, Sydney, and their two daughters went to Disneyland for a vacation and returned on December 11th. Now, according to family and friends, Heather was moving on from her relationship with Sydney. She got a job at a beauty parlor in downtown Myrtle Beach and was starting just before Christmas. Her and her roommate also started attending church regularly, and things seemed to To be like turning around for Heather. But her co-workers at the Tilted Kilt. Noticed that she had began to put on some weight. And her uniform. Reportedly increased by about like three bra sizes. Quite a bit. Yeah. So Heather and her manager at the Tilted Kilt. Kind of worried that maybe she had gotten pregnant. And that Sydney was the father. And her manager actually said that she took a pregnancy test at work, but the results came back as an error. On the night of December 17th, Heather went on a date with another man, Stephen Sheraldi. I think is how it's said. The date started at 10 p.m. and they drove around in his car looking at Christmas lights and later drove to the parking lot of the Inlet Square Mall where he taught her to drive his manual transmission truck. Heather sent pictures of her driving the stick shift car to her dad and her roommate. And her dad, I watched a little, um episode on this case and her dad is in there saying you know he got the message kind of smiled at and was like i'll just talk to her later about it Stephen and heather went back to his place which is actually his mom's house and they watched a movie and then went to her place she invited him in to see her place he accepted and stayed for a little while but he left and returned home Stephen dropped Heather off at her apartment at about 1.15 AM and he is the last person known to see her. Twenty minutes later, a call was made to Heather's cell phone via payphone that lasted only five minutes. Shortly after the phone call, Heather called her roommate Bree, who was out of town seeing family because it was it was the holidays, it was right before Christmas. And she said that Sydney had called her and he said he was leaving his wife and wanted to meet with her. Don't do it, girl. Don't do it. Bree said Heather was hysterical during this call and she told her she shouldn't meet Sydney. She should just go to bed, sleep it off. She'd feel better in the morning and after two minutes, their phone call ended. After this, Heather's whereabouts are not really known past 1.45 a.m. On December 19th, Oree police found Heather's Green Dodge Intrepid abandoned eight miles from Myrtle Beach. Her car was found parked perpendicular to the space it was in at the peach tree landing boat launch. The car was left abandoned for hours and locked. They notified her parents because the car was registered to her dad. And as soon as they kind of got the notification that the car had been found abandoned, Terry and Debbie her parents, began, like, frantically trying to call her. And that was when they kind of knew something was up. So, her dad, Terry, actually ended up driving to where the car was and meeting with police. And together, they opened up Heather's car, And they noticed right away that Heather's phone, keys, and purse were not there. There was no broken glass or blood at the scene and no signs of a struggle. Again, calls were made to her phone that went unanswered. And she wasn't at her apartment or her jobs. So Heather was officially missing. And what's strange to me is that police actually let Heather's father drive the vehicle to his home. They didn't take it in. They let him just drive off with the car.
0: But what about the evidence?
1: Um... ORE police quickly started a missing persons investigation and started with Stephen, the last known person to see Heather. He was quickly cleared, though, because his timeline and everything and his alibi just it didn't place him there past the time that he, he said he left. And then his mom said he came home and he stayed home. The day after the car was found, a search of the area around the boat landing was performed with no signs of heather. Searches of the riverbed down to Winyah Bay were made by a team of rescue divers from Coastal Carolina University. Um... A set of bones were discovered in the area nearby right before New Year's, but they turned out to be male. Investigators used cell phone records and activity to track Heather and showed considerable activity the two hours after she had called Bree to tell her about Sydney's phone call. So let's start going through kind of what they observed. So they have no way of knowing if Heather was the one using the phone, but pings show that at 2:30 a call was made to the payphone that Sydney had supposedly called from, but there was no answer. Shortly after her phone was taken to Longbeard's Bar and Grill in Carolina Forest where it stayed for 15 minutes. After that was taken as far away as Augusta Plantation Drive, which is roughly four miles from Longbeards, where it then returned to Longbeards for another 15 minutes. After that, a call was made to Sydney's cell phone, but no one answered the call and the phone appeared to be in motion again. Within five minutes, the phone appeared to be back at Heather's apartment and remained there for another five minutes where another call was made to Sydney's phone, which appeared to be at his home. That lasted four minutes. At 337, about eight minutes after the phone call, the phone was then taken to Peachtree Landing. A minute later, three attempts to call Sydney were made in the span of two minutes, all went unanswered. At 3.41, another attempt was made, and a minute and a half later, data records from Heather's phone end. The only location identified was somewhere in the Wakama. Again, there was a lot of weird names, and they didn't give me pronunciations. They wanted me to sound like a fool. (laughs) But it's a, um, nature... Like a natural uh, wildlife refuge place. So it it's all seems very, very sketchy. So police began to investigate both Tammy and Sydney's phone records, and there was no communication between their phones like no communication between Sydney and Tammy from November 2nd the day Sydney would later testify he surrendered his phone to Tammy as a condition of remaining married until about 4:37 a.m. December 18th when she sent him a text asking for the pot stickers and orange juice and he replied Yes, ma'am, and like, immediately afterwards. As police are looking into Sidney's possible involvement, they found security footage linking him to Heather's activities in those early hours of December 18th. Footage from a Myrtle Beach Walmart showed that at 1.12 a.m. that night... Sydney entered the store. He purchased a pack of cigarettes and a pregnancy test and left after seven minutes. Then footage from a kangaroo gas station on Joe White Avenue showed Sydney make a call from a payphone across the street to Heather's cell phone at 1.35 a.m. Investigators also looked at private security cameras between the Moore's home and Peachtree Landing At two separate residents, you see a dark Ford F-150 passing and heading toward the landing at 3.36 a.m. and 3.39 a.m. At 3.45 and 3.46, the truck is seen, again, heading in the opposite direction. The license plate is not visible in this footage, but after analysis, both police and the FBI the truck was determined to be sydney's and it was searched so they've now determined that it was his truck and it was searched and all this time when sydney was questioned by police if he was involved he denied it when they were at when they were looking at the video footage a lot of it was too grainy to say it was like him in the video but when they told Sydney he had been caught, he confessed because he's a dumbass. <laughs> when his truck was searched, police found the GPS had been disengaged the night of December 18th. Isn't that just so ironic? So convenient that he just happened to not have his GPS engaged. The first charges made in this case were kind of shocking to everyone because they were on January 28th, 2014. And it was against a William Christopher Barrett and Garrett Ryan Darnes. I don't know how the last name is said, but they were arrested and charged with obstruction of justice, and according to police, both men posted information about the case on social media that was either false or misleading, causing police to divert from the case and waste time looking into the posts. Both were released on bond and charges and the charges were dismissed in April because the charging officer missed the preliminary hearing because he mistakenly believed the case had been continued. and um, Garrett was indicted on the charge in July. So it was it's kind of like... I understand you gotta build a case against like who you think is in like involved, but it's just weird that the first things that like basically see some sort of like action are just two random guys that posted stuff. In February, Sydney told police that people had fired at him or brandished weapons while he was driving on local roads with his family due to the publicity over his possible role in Heather's disappearance you you want me to like shed a tear for you sydney like you you're looking very guilty Georgetown county deputy sheriffs who resp- yeah, who responded, saw no signs that his truck had been hit, despite Sydney's claim that he had heard bullets strike it. Sydney claimed later that in addition to those incidents, he had been followed and received threats against himself and his home, and his family pets had been killed and mutilated. I find it very, like, convenient that suddenly he's the victim here. On February 21st, police closed off the section of South Carolina Highway 814 next to the Moore residents to execute a search warrant for the property. After 11 hours in which law enforcement searched thoroughly, the Moores were both arrested at home and charged with murder kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and two counts each of indecent exposure. The indecent exposure charges were from the uh, sexually explicit images found on their phones that they were determined to have taken of themselves in public places. The obstruction charge um, against Sydney were later specified as resulting from his early denial of his use of the payphone. The one problem with the murder charges was that there was no murder weapon, no body, or forensic evidence, so the murder charges were dropped. Tammy and Sydney posted the $20,000 bond set for the obstruction and exposure charges, but later waived... The bond on the kidnapping charges in favor of murder charges where they were originally held without bond. A month after the arrest, the court ordered a gag order on all participants in the case. Investigators also announced that they would later be making additional charges unrelated to the Elvis case that Instead, involved financial discrepancies filed with the state of South Carolina on behalf of the occupants of the residence. So, can't get you on murder. We're gonna get you on something. Or die trying. Right? In June, these charges were formally filed as related to Medicaid fraud. Um, Investigators said that on a 2007 application for benefits that exceeded ten thousand dollars the moors had failed to disclose the income from their businesses in the wake of the arrest sydney and tammy had a lot of support on social media they painted heather as a stalker and suggested the police had framed them to protect the real killers Heather's family tried to fight back, but felt overwhelmed. At one point, they barred a local newspaper, which had repeated in its coverage some of the allegations made against them. From a news conference uh, that was held... Let me rephrase this. So Heather's family tried to fight back, but they felt overwhelmed. And at one point, they barred a local newspaper... Um, which basically had covered all these like terrible allegations made against them and Heather from this news conference that they were like holding discussing the online harassment. In early 2015, the Moors were released from jail, where they had been held for the preceding 11 months after a judge accepted Tammy's mother's house as collateral sufficient to guarantee the $100,000 bond on the murder charges. At the bond hearing, prosecutors told the court they still had no direct evidence linking the couple to Elvis's disappearance. The Elvis family argued against the release, claim yeah, claiming they had received threats from the Moore family. And their supporters, so the court required Sydney and Tammy to agree to GPS monitoring of their whereabouts and to stay five miles away from the Elvis family home at all times and avoid interacting with, with any of them on Facebook and other social media. Because Tammy and Sydney were struggling to find work in Horry County, the judge allowed them to move to Florida where Sydney had found a job they were required to continue ugh, they were required to continue their bail conditions and waive extradition from florida should they violate them in march 2016 prosecutors dropped the murder charges against both sydney and tammy without prejudice meaning they could be reinstated later should the state decide to The indecent exposure charges were also dropped, along with obstruction charge against Tammy. And to date, there have been three trials related to the case. In June 2016, the first trial in relation to Heather's disappearance took place when a jury was seated to decide whether Sydney had kidnapped her. Over the next four days, the state presented its case. Heather's co-workers testified um, and said she had an affair with Sydney and that they, along with Heather herself, believed she had gotten pregnant as a result. Law enforcement uh, specialists documented the phone and video records that prosec- prosecutors argued connected Sydney to Elvis the morning morning. She disappeared. The jurors were also taken to see the peach tree landing in Moore's house. The last day of the trial was taken up by Bree's um roommate. Oh yeah. Ugh. I was like, I worried this so weird. Half of these notes were done like while I was like half asleep. So <laughs> the last day of the trial was taken up by Heather's <coughs> You're good. Last days of the trial were taken up by Heather's roommate Bree's testimony. She recalled in heavy detail Heather and Sydney's affair and became emotional recalling the last phone call she had with Heather. On cross-examination, Bree was questioned about times Heather had difficulty with her family and a reportedly abusive past boyfriend from before she met Sydney. The attorney for Sydney rested his case, arguing that the case against his client was nothing but circumstantial and only proved that they had had an affair. The jury deliberated for seven hours and came back divided. Ten wanted to convict, while two did not, and this made the jury be declared a hung jury, and the case was judged a mistrial. Despite the Moore's home security footage showing them washing their car, the like the day after on December 18th and burning the rags they used, and a receipt for a pregnancy test in their possession, Sydney Moore's trial resulted in a mistrial. A new trial date was set, but as of December 2018, nothing was like, set for it, like, it was basically, I don't know if it just, like, stuff came up and it just, nothing happened, but eventually, like, there was a second trial, and Sydney spoke to a media outlet about the case. After the trial, the judge found him in contempt of court for violating the gag order and sentenced him to five months in jail. He was released after two due to good behavior. Upon release, he spoke again to the media, saying he felt the jury in the trial had not been impartial and that the whole case amounted to malicious prosecution. In August of 2017, Sidney was charged with obstruction of justice for lying about his use of the payphone. He was sentenced to 10 years. Tammy Moore went on trial in October 2018 when prosecutors tacked on a conspiracy to kidnap charge. Investigators provide evidence that she had stalked Elvis after learning about the affair. She was found guilty on both counts and sentenced to two consecutive yeah two concurrent terms of 30 years. Sidney Moore's retrial in September 2019 saw him face an additional conspiracy charge and during the retrial Tammy Moore's cousin Donald De Marino a convicted criminal who'd done time for burglary burglary and drug charges testified that Sidney Moore had shown him a picture of Heather Elvis on his phone in 2014. Donald told them that she was clearly not alive and there were scratches on her face. When asked if, if the Elvis family would likely see their daughter alive again, he said no. After a two-hour deliberation, Sydney was found guilty, and he received the same sentence as his wife. So he also got two terms of 30 years. Both Sydney and Tammy continue to deny the wrongdoing and are appealing their convictions, and to this day there is no trace of Heather Elvis. Her family hopes that one day Sydney will tell them what happened to Heather, the family of Heather Elvis has been memorializing her at Peachtree Landing. It, um, and they do it like every year on December 18th, the day that she disappeared. The event has attracted other families who have lost loved ones and they've, or like they've gone missing. And Terry, her father, said that he still holds hope that one day she will be at the front door. Does he think it'll happen? No, but he doesn't want to give up hope. And I hate these cases that have like these cliffhanger endings, but I mean, it's just the way it is here. You have so much like loopholes and stuff you have to go through and just you have shitty people that won't say what they did and I hope that one day she'll be found do I think she'll be alive no but I'm hoping one day they find her and the family can have the peace yeah answers and the peace that they deserve but I don't remember how I found this case. I think I was just kind of searching and it popped up as like a weird missing persons. And as I started looking into it, I was like, restaurant work. I I can relate. Yeah, I can relate to this. And as I got into it, I was just like, and this is yet another reason why I don't. I don't date people associated with work. I'm just shocked it wasn't a line cook.
0: <laughs> um, he usually is the line cook or the dishwasher. Yes.
1: <laughs> but hopefully one day Heather gets found. But until then, if you know anything, if you have any insights to this case, please reach out to the proper authorities. And if we ever get any updates, we will let you know. But for now, I guess we're going to kick you off to the last call.
0: Alright, it's time for another last call with Sloan. Today we are going to talk about my current favorite trash TV (laughs) obsession, Jersey Shore. Oh boy. I don't know why I just started... I, I watch trash TV while I'm researching these cases. So it's like mindless babble while yeah. I'm like doing this serious stuff. And Jersey Shore was my next pick. And then after I did this, I've been using um, the SculptU app for my workouts. And there's also like journal prompts in there and meal plans. It's a phenomenal app. So like if you're looking for something, I highly recommend it's $9 a month, SculptU. But what she does is monthly theme challenges and this month's challenge is also Jersey Shore oh gosh and she announced it like two three weeks after I started rewatching Jersey Shore so needless to say my brain has gone into overdrive and I am completely obsessed with Jersey Shore right now so let's talk about it
1: meanwhile I just started um I, fu- I I'm one of those people I like to rewatch like comfort shows or like shows I've watched before because I like, don't have to pay attention But I was like looking, I was like, I want to watch something. I haven't. And I'm behind the trend. I started Teen Wolf.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I haven't watched that one yet.
1: (laughs) I'm only three episodes in and I'm
0: hooked. Yeah. So, one, Jersey Shore was initially a competition series for Guidos. Oh, my God. It was not supposed to be the reality TV show that it is today. So it was also supposed to be on VH1 and they dropped it and MTV picked it up, which is when it turned into more reality TV because they were trying to aim it towards the younger crowds. And on the original show, they already had Mike the Situation, Snooki, JWoww, and well, Polly D and Angelina were already signed up for the Guido competition. So they stayed on. MTV got rid of a few of the other cast members. And then, of course, recruited Ron, Sammy, and Vinny to join the group as well. Oh, boy. Two, this is probably my favorite fact from this whole thing. The duck phone was left behind by accident. So when the Jersey Shore producers went through the house, they told the house owner, Danny, who also owns the shirt store that they work out that everything needed to go, including the duck phone. However, when the series began filming, someone accidentally left the phone in the house. And now the duck phone is the national symbol of Jersey shore. And nobody will ever forget the first episode. I mean, if you've watched it, you'll never forget when the duck ru- phone rang for the first time and Snooky's just walking through the house being like, what is that noise? <laughs> and it's not the phone ringing like bring, bring. No, it's a full on quack, quack. <laughs> quack quack and she's just like what is going on and at one point she picked up the phone and somebody answered and she like freaked out and hung up again and then the phone just kept ringing she was like I'm not answering that again I'm not touching that again
1: every freaking millennial's like worst nightmare there yes actually having to talk on the phone yes.
0: And we'll get into that in a little bit, but they were not allowed to have cell phones in the house. So, that is one of the facts later on though. Uh There were a lot of cameras in the house. 42 to be exact. So, between the house, inside the shirt store, and the boardwalk, there were 42 cameras. So, if you were in Seaside during those summers, you probably got recorded doing some shit you weren't supposed to be doing. Probably. Four, and this is something that I just learned, because I stopped watching after, I think, the season in Italy, whenever it first came out. But four, Snooki had her own separate house. In the season that I'm watching now, it's either the fifth or the sixth season, she's pregnant and engaged to get married to Gianni. And she did not want to come back at all, and she ended up being convinced to come back. She stayed for about a week in the house with the roommates, maybe even less than that. And then she was like, uh, I need to go. Like, this is not an appropriate place for a pregnant woman to be hanging out <laughs> and chilling and whatnot. And to that, I say that really just, like, made me believe that she would be a good mom. Because before that, you heard
1: Snooki. She's pregnant. What the fuck? Yeah, I remember when it came out that Snooki was pregnant. I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah.
0: But she actually, she did change for the better with her pregnancy, from what I can tell. The next fact is Snooky likened being in the shore house to being in jail. (laughs) In an interview with V Magazine, Snooky once said that living in the shore house almost felt like being in jail for two months. You can't leave without a film crew crew with you, and if you want to leave, you have to tell them an hour before so they can get ready. There are no cell phones, no TVs, and you can't read, you can't write or pass notes, you can't listen to music, you can't do anything.
1: I mean my guilty pleasure was always like the um challenge the um mm-hmm. the one with like the, road the real rule, yeah. yeah real world and road rules and then when they stopped doing like really those it was just like past contestants or ones from like survivor or yeah. stuff like that, that they would bring on and that was always mine and i've seen different interviews with past like cast members and that and they've pretty much said the same thing like it's like they basically make it where you have situations to get like drama. Yeah. For sure. That's what reality TV is. Yes. You knew that going into it. So like they weren't allowed to buy them alcohol but they were allowed to you know give them the money for them then to go buy their alcohol. I was like So they did buy you alcohol, but they didn't. Well, that
0: was not a problem in the Jersey Shore house. They had alcohol all the time. Yeah. Number six, when the cast signed up for the reality show, they had no control over their privacy and were only allowed to make one private phone call a week. Number seven, Sally Ann Salsano, who I believe is the producer, lived in the Shore house too. She was on Jersey Shore Watch 24-7, and in an interview with ABC, she admitted that she lived in in an apartment above the Jersey Shore cast and kept tabs on them with a 14-feed video monitor. As much as I love watching that show, I don't feel like that would be the job for me. No. Number eight. The cast worked for free during season one. The Jersey Shore cast made a lot of money over the course of the six-season series, but they had to pay their dues first. Vinny told Vulture Magazine that the crew worked for free during the first season, despite many of them leaving school and their jobs to appear on the show. The only ma- money they made came from their job shifts at Danny's Shore store. But, the next fact is, then they made $10,000 an episode come season two. So <sighs> don't feel too bad for them. right. After making chump change for their inaugural season, the cast returned for season two with new storylines and a big fat pay raise. So according to some reports, some of the cast members pocketed a cool $10,000 per episode. How pissed would you be if you were not being paid the same amount as the other roommates? Right? You know, like, Snokey and them had to have gotten more.
1: Mm,
0: Yeah, I want to know who got paid what and who got paid less. Right. Mainly I want to know who got paid less. Was it Mike? Because he deserved it, to be honest. <laughs> he's a fucking dick. I mean, yeah. He's horrible. He's nothing but a potster. But I also feel like he's the one that the producers probably go to and they're like, hey. And I need you to I haven't really do this. had any, like, good content in the past couple of days. Do you think you could maybe, you know, tell Gianni that you and Snooki hooked up? So that way we can have some drama. Like, yeah. The next fact is Dina Cortez, who she came in in season three with Snooki after Angelina left. She initially auditioned for season one, but she, and she was actually casted for season one, but she was not able to do it because her grandmother became ill, so she dropped out. Number 11. Snooki's police car accident in Italy left out a tiny little detail. Oh, you hadn't heard? Reality TV isn't always real during the season four trip to italy snooki got into an accident with a police car and sported an neck brace due to her injury however the police officers she collided with were actually members of the security team hired for the uh, hired for the cast members safety <sighs> yeah number 12 the jersey shore stars traded in their new jersey shore beach house for an apartment in florence for season four the apartment was actually a bank before MTV decided to shoot there. And it was just like a really weird setup. Like, I don't know. It was, it was a weird house. You could tell something else had been there before. <laughs> 13. Salsano, Greenlit, Season 5, Before Telling the Cast. And you can kind of tell this whenever you're watching the filming. Like, them leaving Italy and going to Jersey Shore. But... The cast was still filming season four in Italy when she greenlit a fifth season of Jersey Shore. Instead of telling the cast right away, she withheld the information until MTV was ready to go public with the official press release because she knew her decision wouldn't sit well with the cast. She said, they're going to hate me. Well, hell yeah, they are. They thought they were going home after Italy and now Mm -hmm. you're telling them they're filming for another two and a half, three months. The new season meant the cast wouldn't get a resting period between season four and season five. And would begin shooting as soon as they touched down in the States. So that means I'm watching season 6. That's the one where Snooky ventures off. 14. Fans could rent the Shore house for group parties. Oh, God. It's no longer up for rental. But back in the day, you could have your own Jersey Shore style rager.
1: Oh, God.
0: 15. Polly D is a father. He didn't fall in love at the Shore. But he did find out that he was the father of a baby girl in 2013. Number 16, Vinny once considered law school. And I have to say, Vinny was always my favorite. It would really hurt my heart if he was paid less than the others. Uh -uh. If Jersey Shore hadn't worked out so well for Vinny, he would have pursued a career in in law. He said, my score was decent. I had a plan that if my score was really well, then I might have just went to Yale or Harvard. But it was just mediocre. I can get into law school. I had a 3.9 GPA, Latin honors, and I'm doing this right now. Law school is always on the back burner. I just knew that man was smart. I I knew it. 17. Angelina became an EMT after leaving Jersey Shore. 18. Ronnie dabbled in the world of wrestling after Jersey Shore ended. I do remember that. I mean, that's like a perfect fit for that man. (laughs) 19. Sammy started her own clothing line after Jersey Shore. It's called Sweetheart Styles. And lastly, Snooki became an author. After Jersey Shore. She released. A Shore Thing in 2011. And then she went on to release. Confessions of a Guidette. Baby Pumps from Party from Party Girl to Proud Mama. And all the messy milestones along the way. Gorilla Beach. And the last book is. Strong is the New Sexy. My kick-ass story. On getting it. Ugh, on getting my formula for fierce. So. Those are my facts for Jersey Shore. I'm loving the trash TV right now. Come (laughs) at me. I don't care. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can always find us over at our socials. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. They're all Tequila She Wrote across the board. You can also email us at wrote at gmail.com if you have any case requests, cocktail recipes, beers,
1: wines, liquors you want us to try, whatever. Yep. You also have our Patreon for as little as $2 a month. You'll get ad-free episodes. You also get a bonus episode. And then if you do some of the little higher tiers, you get even more little bonus stuff. We have Ruining Paradise little episodes, haunted episodes, all that fun stuff. There's some merch over there. And yeah, we have a few other things we haven't done just because we only have <laughs> my one friend Emily, <laughs> so it doesn't make sense to do like the little Q and A happy hour. And yes, that yet, but once we get more, it's we'll definitely look into it. But easiest way to find that is by either going to our link tree, and you can click on the Patreon thing, and it'll bring a direct link to send you there. Or you can go patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote and it should bring you directly to our page. If you have any questions about all that shoot us an email, send us something on Instagram or something like that. We'll try to reply to you as quickly as we possibly can. And thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. (laughs)